I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Road Studios, in the crap part of Soho, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. That makes us the Tara Lipinski, the Johnny Weir of the lesser I wish we were that good. Soccer. I wish we were that good. They are, actually, they are the bright spot, because Rebecca Lua... I can't find her. I've not seen her once during the Olympics. She's been buried horribly. I feel like Al Michaels, Collinsworth, and Bob Costas and Bob Costas's infected eyes have got together <laughs> and they have relegated Rebecca Lua. And she's not on television anywhere. She's too beautiful. Show them up. She showed them up. The amount, boys of hair dye, the amount of hair dye on those broadcasts between those men, it is ludicrous. I think that's why the Sochi water is undrinkable. It's the NBC hair dryers leaked into, <laughs> the, water into the water supply. It could be that. I mean, I've got to say the Sochi thing. Unfinished yeah. hotel rooms, rancid water, yeah. general war zone quality. Uh-huh. I mean, God, it, Sochi is clearly the Newcastle of Russia. <laughs> it's warmer. But no one, no one cried for me when I was dispatched to Ukraine and had to live this and rabid dogs and worse. But it's just that everyone's there en masse. I have no sympathy for them. Yeah. None whatsoever. Are you enjoying the Winter Olympics? I'm, I'm, because they are downplaying Rebecca Lowe. Rebecca Lua. At heart, monster, great GFOP. He said, whoever decided to bump Matt Lauer up over Lady Rebecca yeah. should be sacked faster than Decania. Yeah. Um, am I enjoying it? I didn't take pleasure in Sean White's kind of... Default. Fourth place finish. Yeah, poor bloke. If to David Moyes is a verb, I think he's just given it his dictionary definition. Uh-huh. It's been a very tough week for Gingies, Dave, as we will see. Uh, not for Steve Sidwell. Are, are you into it? What? This. Do you know what? I'm enjoying the Winter Olympics. I like sport. You know, I get out of bed for football. I get out of bed for sport. I like sport. <laughs> Anything with a bat, a ball, a skate, a ski. A curling brush. Well, Norwegians, I'm there. Yeah. I really, I love the Norwegians. I am there for sport. Love the opening ceremony. Um, I was a bit annoyed it didn't have Branner in it. <laughs> yeah, I hear his, he didn't make it. He lobbied. I hear his Trotsky is meant to be to die for. Can I tell you what my favourite thing is, though, because it just came off? My favourite thing on is the NBC Studios fireplace in Sochi. <laughs> By the way, so number one, it is 65 degrees there today. They have the fakest fireplace. By the way, NBC Sports, brilliant sports organisation. The way they've handled the Premier League has been Unbelievable. amazing. Unbelievable. But they're very, very serious about fact, about truth, about honesty, about their journalistic credentials. And yet... Men with the fakest hair dye sit in front of the fakest <laughs> fireplace. It is, it is ludicrous. Celebra- celebrating the 100 sports which were all deemed less popular than soccer in America in 1994. Yeah. And somehow we're getting quite up for it. I'll tell yeah. you what does put me off. Cause it's I, rating well. I bet it is. But the one thing I can't watch, I find very hard to watch, David. Women's ice hockey. No, the women's ice hockey I love. The cu- women's curling, I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mary Carrillo <laughs> and Costas. That frantic, unfulfilled sexual chemistry that they share. <laughs> it's like Carson and Mrs. Hughes. <laughs> so NBC, if you're listening, and I know you do listen. Yeah, just let them, get, let them get a room. Is that what you're saying? Well, the Winter Olympics version of get a room, yeah. which is just shove them on the doubles luge together and let them slide down the mountain. You could put a GoPro camera on it. It'll be like the Kim Kardashian tape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, David. Did you see Maria Sharapova? She's been broadcasting a little. She grew up in Sochi, left at the age of seven. Oh. 
I didn't see her. Yeah. Did you see her? She was born in Sochi. Yeah, that's where she was. I don't know if she was born there, but that's where she was raised. She left there at the age of seven you can to live at water. Nick Bolotieri's Tennis <laughs> Academy, uh, which, is, which is where she trained. But it feels like they're desperate for her to become a big television personality, but they give her very, very... This is why I struggle sometimes to think how we would fit in in a mainstream uh, uh, sports organisation, is they, they give her very, very prepared talking points. So every time they ask her a question, she rephrases the question back in her answer when she does it. She, in her little head, her little yeah. tennis head. She's not suboptimal at all. all. She's, she's trying to be super optimal. She's just, whenever they ask me, don't use the word yeah. unbelievable. Don't use the word unbelievable. <laughs> the only thing, honestly, if word. I was on any of those broadcasts, all I would talk about is the fireplace. <laughs> I can't, I can't, sometimes I can't even think about the sport. All my kids now talk about is the fireplace because it's just what we, we often wait to get through the sport so we can get back into the studio so we can look at the fireplace. Well, we should uh, save the rest of our Winter Olympic talk for our latest podcast. <laughs> Today in Skeleton Luge. Um, but we've got a packed show, David. Packed show. Uh, we're going to sift through the assorted drubbings, surprises, humiliations, uh, one-one away draws that pockmarked the Premier League last weekend and the first part of the midweek. We are recording this before the Wednesday games, mm-hmm. so we don't know what's going to happen. Arsenal, yet. Manchester United, possibly the end of history. We're taping <laughs> this just be before the end, the end of, of history. history. Um, and uh, we're going to cuddle your Ravens. Great Ravens today. And uh, ahead of Manchester City's upcoming clash with Barcelona, uh, Memphis Grizzly and Barker boy, born and bred, Mr. Mark Gasol, Rog. Another in the legitimate, like, huge NBA stars is going to come on and talk can't to us wait. about football. He came through the Barcelona Academy. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear his story. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, so, Rog, we are right now between 25 and 26, 38th. That, of course, reduces to 13-19ths for Chelsea of the way through the season. Honestly, we're tongue-tied, we're cross-eyed, we're dazed by the narrative uh, and the flip-flops going on. It's hard to tell which teams are on the brink of glory and which teams are on the brink of crisis at this point. Today, I just read you from the Daily Mail, (laughs) 10 arguments why Liverpool are going to win the league. City, the goals have dried up. Chelsea, not ready. Little horse. And Arsenal in crisis, club in crisis, uh, and why Liverpool are going to win the league. Wheels within wheels. Wheels within wheels upon wheels. The only thing we know for sure that this is the Premier League season, Dave, when narrative has a life cycle of Drosophilia melongaster. (laughs) Really? The common fruit fly. Oh. Surging Chelsea confidence. Yeah. Mm, Not so much. Not against West Bromwich Albion. in crisis, Manchester City on the brink of glory. Narrative is flip-flopping. Well, Manchester David. City, the greatest goal-scoring record, impossible <laughs> un- 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 to stop. You can't stop them from scoring. <laughs> Nil point. Yeah, constipation. Arsenal, they've got the best record since calendar year, beginning of 2013. Nobody... Moses Sacco and are the greatest centre-defensive partnership of all time, says ESPN's Roger Bennett. And after Michael Davies has said it... And, uh, yeah, it's impossible. Do you think we're going to realise at the end of the season that it's been written by J.J. Abrams? There is, a, there is, or perhaps all the guys from Lost got together and wrote it. Well, we're going to jump on into it, David. OK, here we go. Let's start. Liverpool 5, Arsenal 1. I'm not sure I've ever enjoyed a game of Premier League football more than that, for several reasons. Liverpool's performance, Rog, absolutely phenomenal. But mainly, it was following Piers Morgan's Twitter stream as he was watching that game. Liverpool obliterated, eviscerated, defenestrated 
uh, league leaders Arsenal Rog running right in the first half, all in the space of about 19 minutes, I think, to reinforce their own chances of a fourth-place trophy. Fantastic performances all over the field. One of our GFOPs at M. Sartin 23 yeah. wrote, At Men in Blazers, please give a big heads up before discussing Arsenal on the pod this week. I can't bear to listen. Hashtag super suboptimal football at MS Sartin. Consider yourself warned. Well, let's first of all, I'm not sure that any Arsenal fans will agree with this, but I'm going to say something which I would say in defence of Arsenal right now, is that every team is entitled to a major slip-up here and there. And sometimes things just don't go your way. The first two goals are from set pieces. Skirtle finished those two goals absolutely brilliantly. And I actually think that early on, Arsenal were a little bit unfortunate Early on, meaning the first 53 yes. seconds of the game. But no, but I think they're a little unfortunate to be 2-0 down so, so, so early in that game. The thing I would criticise Arsenal for, and I think the, things that Ars- the thing that Arsenal fans would be most critical of their own performance, is that they didn't buckle down, show some resolve, show some grit and get back into that game to end up being humiliated. Having said that, the performance by Liverpool... From that point, yes, they did well. Skirtle scored two great goals to go 2-0 up. The performances, the performance from that point was absolutely amazing. Well, let's talk about it because what a big takeaway is Liverpool do not just beat teams at Anfield. They absolutely decapitate them and put their heads on the pike. It's exactly what happened to Everton. Made me feel better, honestly, uh, about that result after watching Arsenal because I've seen vaunted defences crumble before quickly but only in the Ardennes in 1940, and I think Panzer tanks were involved. Mm-hmm. They're like the Denver Broncos in disguise, David. They really yeah. were Arsenal. Liverpool scored so quickly and so often, four goals in 18 minutes, 29 seconds. They even made a mockery, David, of they scored too soon. That's how yeah. good they were. Yeah. That's how good they were. They came out like a howling banshee. Um, within a minute, Kaolo, uh knocked the ball onto Skirtle's knee, a move they clearly worked on in the training ground. I've got to tell you, I pitied Chesney at that second. Not because the Arsenal had leaked within a minute, because can you imagine to see a screaming Skirtle up at that close range, oh, David? Screaming Skirtle. I mean, they. It can burn your retinas. It can burn your retinas. Battles, not only battle, whole wars in the Middle Ages were decided <laughs> by screaming Skirtles. And wow, the second goal, though, simply yeah. extraordinary header. Geometry, power, uh, imagination. It was a four. Vectors. Fourth goal uh, of the season for the ethnic cleanser. <laughs> Liverpool have scored more goals from set pieces. I think it's 21 than any other side. Um, Arsene Wenger probably made a mental note for himself to launch a 40 uh, million plus one pound bid for Martin Skirtle because he does <laughs> need a goal scorer. Uh, I started to just feel sorry for Arsene. I really did. The th- I felt almost as sorry for Arsene Wenger, Davo, as I did for Californian Arsenal fans. Well, look, and We'd I struggled think... out of bed at 4:45 a.m. Yeah, like Piers Morgan in the and morning, me. and then after 15 minutes, the game was kind of over, and they were faced by the Sophie's choice: of do you keep watching? Do you keep watching that, or do you go back to bed, knowing that if you do go back to bed, you're going to be dreaming dread dreams of what you'd just seen? Well, number one, I don't think you can blame Arsene for that loss, and I know that there are a a group of Arsenal fans who believe that it's his fault for not bringing in better players. I really think you've got to look at the players oh, on the field and their, um, you know, just their sense of pride. To lose that badly, um, I thought was um, it I was agree it was with a that, bit of a shock. Way. However, I don't think that Arsenal are that bad. They are still. Here's the reality: before today's games, 
Arsenal could still go top. And yet, you look at the odds on the Premier League right now. I think Man City are two and a quarter to one. Chelsea are two and three quarter one. Arsenal are nine to one. They could be top at the end of today. But you look at it, still David. Nine to one. You do. You look at that defeat. You yeah. look at that first half. The perfect first half for, for Liverpool. Four goals scored. Yeah. Zero shots on goal conceded. I mean, mm. it was 45 minutes of pornography for Liverpool fans. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, where was Arsenal's leadership, their mm. organisation, their commitment, their belief? Ozil looked disinterested. Mikel Arteta was overwhelmed. Uh, credit Liverpool. I mean, my God, their hunger, their work rate, their desire. Uh, but Arsenal just looked like they lacked will uh, or intelligence or both in comparison. Um, they conceded 21 goals in 24 Premier League matches before today. They leaked five within 51 minutes. Even Arlo White, Dave, tweeted us when we asked him whether we can get his permission to say the word. He said, after the first half, we are approaching, quote, barely believable territory. Arteta said at half-time, Arsene Wenger was, quote, angrier than I'd ever seen him. Mm-hmm. What do you think an Arsene Wenger looks like when he's angry? <laughs> a bit like a screaming skirtle, I would say. <laughs> they're, they're pretty, I think they're pretty close. I think they're related. Oh, no. I think no. screaming skirtles yeah. and angry wengers, I think they went against each other, their descendants in battle since the Middle Ages, it's still somewhere near the Ardennes. It's still all there. I don't think so. I think, I think an angry Arsene Wenger is either like Cameron in Ferris Bueller when he uh-huh. recognises he's killed his dad's car. Okay. Just kind of sits there in the middle of the changing room, screaming no, oblivious to his surround. Or it could be, and it's close, I can't tell which way it goes, Diane Keaton. <laughs> Something's got to give. <laughs> Just sobbing as she goes about her everyday life. Um, it was humiliation for Arsene Wenger. He sat in the second half skulking like an old, wet, sad Bichon Frise. Um, and what interested me about this, and we talked about this a little bit together, Dave, on the Sirius show on Monday, within 10 minutes of the final whistle of that game, within 10 minutes, there'd already been more R Liverpool serious title contender talk than Arsenal have received all season. And they've been top for the vast majority of the season. I know, it's crazy. So explain it. Liverpool have, let's look at Liverpool first. They've not won the title since 1980-90. And other than your 10 reasons from the Daily Mail... Yeah. How good is this team? Well, I think that some of its present form in the last six games, the two teams with the best record over the last six games are Liverpool and Chelsea. Both won four, both drawn two, unbeaten. Um, and since actually Liverpool lost... To Chelsea, they've had a, over the holidays, they've had a very, very good run. I think they're a very good team. They uh, have some experience in that team. They have a, uh, they have speed. And they've got a few players who are really overperforming. I mean, Jordan Henderson is not going to be the sung hero of this team. People are going to talk about Gerrard. People are going to talk about Sterling. People are going to talk about Sturridge and Suarez. People are going to talk about Skirtle scoring those goals. But the performances that Brendan Rodgers is getting out of Jordan Henderson, that deserves an OBE right now. I agree with that, by the way. Interesting also, behind the scenes, revelations came out this week that uh, Brendan Rodgers has left his wife. Who you remember from being Liverpool? (laughs) Do we remember her in being Liverpool? She was in the early scenes in the house. He's left the house and the wife, the the, the kind of modern Greco-Roman tiled swimming pool house, left it. and I'm not making any judgment against him for this, but there is, he's got his new teeth, he's lost some weight, he's wearing new clothes. 
She found some sun somewhere in Liverpool. I'm telling you, this might explain why Liverpool are playing with such a lease on life. He's got a new <laughs> wife. Or potential, he's got at least a young girlfriend. That's ex- he's a happy man. <laughs> right, Rog? Well, I'll tell you who I'm happy for. Who? GFOP's Brandon McCarthy. Yeah. John Green. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Desna. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go on the record, Dave, and just say how much I respect... I find it hard to get that word out. <laughs> what Liverpool have achieved this season. I know. I'm an Everton fan, but these are my words. I think only a dead man or a liar would say they didn't admire the way Liverpool Football Club play at home. It's a beautiful... They're playing beautiful, beautiful football. Beautiful. And it's good for football to see Liverpool playing this well <sighs> in the league. And I tell you, the part of the sense of wonder that I have is how they've done it. And credit to Brendan Rodgers and his new lease on life, perhaps, but... Staying firm with Luis Suarez, want away Luis Suarez at the and beginning Sterling. of the season. And Sterling, by the way. Yeah, rehabbing two, let's say, unfulfilled talents in Coutinho and Sturridge. Your point, absolutely coaxing the best out of Jordan Henderson. It was a footnote on the joke, yep. uh, really, a season ago. And the thing that amazes me about Liverpool, and also I'd be fearful about, is watching the Everton game, watching the Arsenal game, both times they put out what seemed like a very dodgy back four. And again, in this game, they were barely tested. Um, is their strategy to play a crap defence to lure opponents onto them like sirens on the rocks? But when Liverpool click, they play, for me, the most high-octane football in England right now. But they need to show they can click on a, on a consistent basis. I have not read the Daily Mail's 10 reasons why Liverpool are going to win the league. But I tell you... And I don't think Liverpool are going to win the league this year. I think they're building a very good team for the future. They're just a little horse. But they might be a tiny bit littler than Chelsea, but they are a little horse. There is. You mentioned this thing about Everton. You're talking about the fatigue and watching them week in, week out. You're seeing a team playing quite tired. I think we've noticed the same thing with Manchester City at the weekend with their nil-nil draw, with um, Chelsea with their performance against West Bromwich Albion after... You know, fantastic performances, frankly, against Man City and against Newcastle. And I think we saw a little bit of that fatigue with Arsenal against Liverpool. And I think fatigue for these teams that are still involved in a lot of competitions, still playing European football, I think fatigue is going to be a factor with these teams. And I think they're all going to drop points because I think they're all tired. And against relegation teams who are fired up now with the threat of going down, and a team like Liverpool not involved in Europe right now, that does give them some advantage as we go in towards the end of the season. I mean, to burn it up on Arsenal, the amazing thing about that game, they won the possession, the passing, the everything statistically, but they left with a bruising and a cruising 5-1. Arsenal said after the game, only the fans were at the races today. So Arsenal embark on their gun and to death part of the season in such a fabulous fashion. Uh, Bayern Munich will no doubt be watching the Liverpool game and possibly spot a weakness or two in the, uh, in the Arsenal infrastructure. But they did. They shrugged off that 6-3 battering against Manchester City. Yeah. And they need to show that they have the same kind of tenacity uh, to do so again. I've got to tell you one last thing about this. Arsenal's implosion on the road against Liverpool, it made me once again marvel just how good, just how good Chelsea's victory against Manchester City was. Playing a, an implos- uh, playing a concussive team uh, and, and working out tactically how to overcome them. Whereas this Arsenal team were playing a similarly... Uh, very, very um, fizzy, very, very aggressive, very, very tenacious team and just cowered, uh, backed off and ultimately were throttled. 
At the, uh, end, at the end of the game, Dave, the camera cut to Kenny Dalglish applauding. Yeah. My seven-year-old asked me, <laughs> he goes, is that Brendan Rodgers' dad? <laughs> I told him it was complicated. At 90%, Rayon tweeted us, he said, at Rog Bennett, if the same question was asked of Sir Alex and David Moyes, I'd suggest you tell your son they're like Abraham and Isaac. Mm, very good. Talking about... Uh... David Moyes and Sir Alex, Man United 2, Fulham 2. So many good games to talk about this weekend, Rod. God. Before the melting face of 80s pop royalty, Mick Hucknall, United continued their downward spiral. I mean, I didn't realise spirals could go down that far, somehow allowing bottom of the table Fulham, not just bottom of the table Fulham. This was one of the worst performances in the history of the Premier League by Fulham. Um, <laughs> and they managed to get a point uh, in the 94th minute. Oh, David. Old Trafford used to be a fortress. Do you remember those days? Yeah. Now it feels more like a run-down days in outside of Tampa, uh-huh. which clings onto the value proposition it offers. Value under the sun. Two shots on goal for Fulham. Two goals. Was this... I mean, to me it was, but was it, was it the most shocking result since Anthony Michael Hall landed Kelly LeBrock <laughs> at the end of Weird Time? <laughs> but can we ask one question? David Moyes goes in the press conference... I don't know if it was after, it was the day after, and says, look, we need a bit more luck. We've been a bit unlucky. Was this, uh, was this just, can we chalk down this result to just yeah. bad luck? Yeah, we can. If we want to be in the kind of five stages of grief, and we're at stage two, I think, is denial. I mean, you have to look at what United did in this game. Well, Carrick's goal was deflected itself, so that was somewhat fortunate. They brought this on themselves. Um, not so much with the record much-discussed 81 crosses, but they fielded three talented offensive threats, Juan Mata, RVP, Wayne Rooney, and then gave them no opportunity to interplay. Mata passed the ball to Van Persie zero times in the first half. He received the ball for Van Persie zero times. Uh, it, do you think that's that, a problem there? Do you, think there's a, do you think that speaks to a personal issue between the players or something within <laughs> coaching that they're just not playing them in that way? I think it's just the, the lack of a tactical business, transfer policy, cohesion of any kind. I mean, you saw Valencia coming on in the second half. Did you see that? And David Moyes was trying to whisper in his ear, slightly nervously, slightly manically about what he wanted to do. And Valencia was chest out, bristling, clearly didn't want to hear from David Moyes. He looked like a teenager about to go off to uh, uh, spring break in Cancun, getting a last-minute lecture from his worried mother. Like, he just wanted to get on the pitch, get away from David Moyes, and th- th- that's what it looks like. Let's ask the big question, though, David. Uh-huh. Who, at Old Trafford, thought about Sir Alex sitting by Simply Red's ageing former star Mick Hucknall and said to themselves, yep, that's a good idea. Paul Scholes. <laughs> it made Paul Scholesy look good. <laughs> that was an amazing moment of football. Let's ask the big, the really big question, David. Just who, at Old Trafford, thought sitting Sir Alex by Simply Red's ageing former star Mick Hucknall was a good idea. Scolzi. <laughs> he, looks, he looks brilliant compared to Hucknall. Oh, but I think probably... Sidwell, maybe. 90% of Americans thought, wow, Scolzi's let himself go. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing moment in Gingy television. Yeah. The camera's cut from John Arne Risa, self-loathing Gingy, yeah. then cut immediately to Simply Red's Mick Hucknall, yeah. who's got the hair of a pop star on the face of the Dowager Countess. It was amazing television. And Sidwell's a whole different kind of Gingy. He's well, like a dark Gingy. Sidwell, that was just before the Sidwell girl... By the way, can we talk about Hucknall? Because many listeners probably do not know who the hell Simply Red is. Holding back the 
Yeah. Years. Longing for the arms of pain. He was a man who famously revealed to the English media... My dad liked that song. ...that he'd seduced... He Trev, Trev. Loved it. He used to drive it. in the car. Was that his song? It. Special he liked song. that and the Pet Shop Boys. Mick Hucknall. The said, drive up to Milton Keynes. I imagine he was listening to a lot of Mick Hucknall <laughs> well, and the Pet Shop Boys. Here's what Mick Hucknall did. His great yeah. achievement, as well as having two big hits, awful hits. Uh, he seduced over a thousand women, according to him. <laughs> sometimes three a day. And then he publicly oh, apologised to all of them. He apologised to all of them in 2010. He said, a red-headed man... Is not generally considered to be a sexual icon, but when I had the fame, oh my God, it went crazy. Between 1985 and 1987, I could sleep with three women a day, every day. I never said no. Wow. As living the dream, my only regret is that I hurt some really good girls. I love men. Oh, simply red. <laughs> So Simply good. red wedding, more like. So, Rog. It was a gingy. It was gingy on gingy violence, David. Yeah. Sidwell, he sauntered through the gut of United's midfield into the hole where their defence was meant to be. It was a fine finish. Untold angst for former gingy David Moyes. They were 17 to 1 Fulham to win this game before kickoff and came. And, by the way, they were awful. I'm a Fulham sympathiser. I'm very fond of Fulham. I've said before on the pod, there are times as a boy where I'd go and see Fulham when Chelsea weren't playing. And I cheered for them. I like them. I've always liked that football club. I think they've done amazing things. But I've got to tell you, this was one... It's not a game where you can say at the end, oh, well done, Fulham. Well done for eking out a result. <laughs> they played... They went there and set themselves up to play horrible football. The crosses... I think you'd have to say that little... That, well, that big centre-back who just came up from the conference. Burned. I mean, great job. But the cross is not what it was. Rog, it's like taking, you know, the horse was amazing when it first came into warfare at some point, you know, when people introduced the horse and I went, oh my God, we can't fight against them, they've got horses. Do you know what, when the Polish fielded horses against the Panzers, it wasn't such a good idea. The cross is not what it was in football. You know, look at the way that the best teams in the world play football. They don't anymore. Spain, Barcelona, don't really rely, even Bayern Munich, don't really rely on the cross for the vast majority of their goals. Which, it's is, like, which is why watching United toil to get themselves back into the game, it was a bit like seeing Pele in a subway ad. It was sad. It was mighty yeah. have fallen sad. Because Fulham, you're right, it's Heitinger, Sidwell, it's former great yeah. of this pod, great friend of the pod, Scotty Parker. I mean, it, it's like that um, Bruce Willis movie, Red, in which all the old actors play kind of former black, so, black ops totally. guys and reunite for one more caper. Uh, United, sick boy in train spotting at Hillmandel sent it into us. One time you've got it, then you lose it, um, and it's gone forever. Beating Man United, one of our great listeners, Jay Rush, said it's like finally beating your dad at chess after he develops dementia. It's not that big a deal anymore. Everton, Newcastle, West Brom, Spurs. And, and the sad thing for me, with the game on the line, there seemed to be little that was planful about United's play. Everything was hit and hope, RVP, matter underutilised, no notion of interplay. Um, Fulham were meant to be the less sophisticated. Uh, but the two goals, this is what I'm interested in. When those two goals flew in, the two goals in two minutes, the mini Bayern Munich redux, the Champions League moment of, of great Manchester United pomp, did you feel it? Did you feel it? Well, that's the game done then. Cause it was, no, always felt that Fulham were going to come and score. Ro- Rooney... Was made the second goal went in. Rooney celebrated the second as if he was reenacting William Defoe's death scene in Platoon. Moyes went all Edward Munch. You, you've got to explain that to me. The most self-destructive primal scream since Howard Dean emitted his, his <laughs> yeah. kind of what do they call it? The Dean scream. Yeah. I mean, 
what he, he turned around to the director's box, he pumped his fist, I'll show you. And then he was left looking like a man who'd fallen through the moon door in the Game of Thrones. Darren Bent, that goal, it means Moises United have dropped 18 points on home turf. They're 21 points worse off than last season at this point, David. Yeah. How, how do you understand that? I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I do not subscribe to the fact that these players are terrible. There's no way they could have won the Premier League last year going away, have lost the Premier League the year before on goal difference. There's no way that this is a terrible team that is five players short of competing with that team. But nor do I subscribe to the idea that David Moyes can be that bad. But there is something going on in that team in terms of that, you know, whether it's in the locker room, whether it's on the training field, but there is something that is wrong for this team to be so consistently playing bad football. Now, we could look like idiots because they could go down to Arsenal and hammer them today by the time that this podcast comes out. And by the way, I think they've got players capable of doing it. I mean, do you really want to face up as a defender when you've just conceded five to Liverpool and face up to Rooney, to Van Persie, to Mata, to, to Yanazai, to all of these amazing offensive players? They've still got the offense to go and do it. But there is something deeply wrong oh, yeah. and all the spirited defense of David Moyes and of talk about we're a huge club talk about how well they're going to do when they go off and buy all these new players in the summer by the way players who are going to have to agree that they're not going to go and play Champions League football there is something wrong there yeah the United they just remain as dysfunctional as a Todd Solon's movie as sad as a Tracy Chapman album Fulham savoured the draw. That was another thing that was shocking. Normally the managers get out of town and say, yeah, you know, we really fought for that. Instead, they almost reveled in United's demise. Rennie Moulinstein, the under-fire Fulham coach who Moyes had fired as an assistant at United when he took over, he mocked them. He said they were predictable uh, and, and, and guileless. Dan Burns, the, the, the non-league footballer for Darlington three seasons ago that you referred now to. Now he's gone to Rio. That's the, that's the <laughs> single-A baseball equivalent. Um, he said... Playing Man United was like playing a, co- a conference or a non-league side. Uh, bright news for United. Uh, they are winning the league that really matters and by a considerable margin. Revenue, Vice Chairman Ed Woodward revealed today. Uh, in the last three months of 2013, Man United's commercial revenue has soared 19%, uh, I think $70 million, as six global sponsorship deals have kicked in. That increase alone is more than 14 Premier League clubs get the whole year. Uh, so United, as you said, Ed Woodward said today that they plan to move in the transfer market in a massive way. We will see. But right now, all these new football fans who are watching NBC in the Premier League for the first time, they only know Manchester United as a plucky, try-hard underdog, David. That's all they know. And they must have loved Fulham fans chanting, we're just as shit as you, we're just as shit as you, to finish off the, the day. One, one somber note for American Fulham fans, Clint Dempsey. When he plays for Fulham, they are 0-1-5. and five. The four games he's not played, they are 2-2-0. Two, two and zero. Yeah, we need Dempsey playing for Fulham for the rest of the season. There's no doubt about it. Um, Rog, Chelsea 3, Newcastle 0. The Little Horses, they win at a canter, Rog. Little Horses can run really fast. And then four days later, they can not run so fast. Uh, Eden Hazard on Saturday, Rog, uh, scored three superlative goals. Even his penalty was a stunner. Uh, Jose Mourinho calls the Belgian the best young player in the world right now. But he actually did distance himself from everybody going, the superlatives, one of the best players in the world. Um, well, he said Hazard is continuing to doing what he's doing the rest of the season. And let's not ignore the role of uh, the rest of the team 
in those goals. I think you wrote on Twitter that it's something like 14 seconds, six men involved in that, oh, that second, second goal. goal. And that back heel full from Samuel Eto'o. Yeah, let me full into the field, the second goal, six players, yeah. 13 touches, 14 seconds, the perfect, the perfect counter-attack. Yeah. You loved one second of it. Tell us what it was, David. Samuel Eto'o's back heel was absolutely amazing. And yet it's been so largely ignored. It's like it came off the windmill in a... In a uh, it, it was like Hazard hit, it. Hazard hit it into his heel deliberately in order for it to come off perfectly in step with him. But you that said, was you said how annoyed part. you were that um, Samuel Eto'o is getting no credit. Yep. It's almost as if he was a windmill <laughs> in a miniature golf course. In a putt-putt course, yeah. Which made you did, you did think for a minute about possibly buying Samuel Eto'o. Yeah, and putting him in the middle of a putt-putt course. In, I'd in, make a fortune. In your Hampton's, yeah, in your Hampton's Palace. Um, I've got to say, watching Hazard, I marvel at him. He's like Chelsea's Aguero. He scores the kind of goals that you ask, why aren't there more goals scored like that? I mean, such a, oh, such a flick with menacing intent for that first goal. Um, in praise of the neckbeard, David, yeah. Andrew Luck, Eden Hazard, are you tempted to agree one? Not really. It does make him look a little older, though, because he's a very young-looking face. Yes. Do you know, both his mother and father were professional players in Belgium. Huh. And he got his first few games in the womb because wow. his mother kept playing. Good for her. Until she was three months yeah. old. Embryonic talent. When We've I watch got him, his little brother as well, out yeah. on loan. Yep. And when I watch him, I do wonder, who the hell is going to be player of the year this season? Yeah. It's going to be that. I mean, remember the days when we talked about Aaron Ramsey being the... Luis Suarez, Suarez Kuhn Aguero, Eden Hazard, yeah. Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, no, everybody's up there. There's no doubt about it. So you love the penalty. You love the nonchalance. You no, love- no, all the goals were good, Rog. And it was, a, uh, it was a fantastic performance at home where Chelsea continued to be very difficult to beat. Chelsea, unbeaten in 11 games, Rog, in the last six. Best record along with Liverpool in the league. They're playing very good football, even taking into account the 1-1 draw. At West Brom. Let's talk about that. Well, I mean, not a great performance, but, you know, it's, they've played a lot of games in a very short amount of time. They're preparing to play a lot more games. It's interesting, Mourinho not rotating his squad a lot. He's got some injuries. He has his fixed team now who he wants to go and play, and he's going to expect them to go and play a lot of games. West Brom, got to give a lot of credit to them. They played a fantastic game of football. They wanted it. Still very unhappy about the nature of the, um, of the draw that was sort of robbed from them in the final minute, in injury time, actually, by that Ramirez questionable act of simulation in the box that was awarded a penalty for. And they wanted this very badly. They worked for it very hard. Um, Chelsea played fine. It wasn't a vintage performance. It's much harder to play away on the road in the Premier League than it is at home. Um, but like Arsenal, uh, like Everton, um, uh, like Liverpool, before them, they went there to the Hawthorns and they got a draw. I think in the grand scheme of things, that will not be a result that decides the Premier League uh, but, you know, it's definitely opening the door to uh, Manchester City and Arsenal for their games later today. At Mathis Eric talked about the West Brom game. He said, at Men in Blazers, oh, Davo, you did it to yourself. Uh, Pepe Mel, Pepe Positive yes. Davis, your lookalike, Michael Davis in a fat suit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a shocking win, Davo, because after, after the 3-0 win at the weekend, you started to ask yourselves questions like, when Chelsea do win the trophy... Do you think it will have Manchester City's name scratched out on it and there's kind of superimposed? Then you watch Victor Anachebe yeah. score his goal for this year. His yeah. entire goal. goal haul. His entire goal haul he scored in one game. Very good goal. He used up all his goals in the one game. 
And one minute, all this talk about little horses. I mean, I must say, Mourinho, crazy at this time to kill off talk of the horses. Uh, Manchester City, you don't chase a Jaguar with a, uh, with a, you don't put an L plate behind a Jaguar. I mean, just this cryptic, bizarre, hilarious kind of, he knows he can just throw out any, any old crap. I mean, uh, on Saturday, if they were a little horse, you knew that the little horse was called Seabiscuit and Mourinho was jockey Red Pollard. But you do, you watch now in this narrative flip-flop, them go to West Brom and really toil. I mean, they were quite imperious, but then they fell away as if somehow Mourinho had told them to fall away in some kind of ultimate mind game. Look, Chelsea's weakness is, and it's no different after Hazard scores a hat-trick, is Chelsea's issue is having a reliable goal scorer to know that they can go and get the goals. And away from home, you need a striker to go and score goals. Samuel Eto'o did not have a great game. Uh, Torres came on at the end, did not look fully fit, did not look fully ready to play. And there was some sense, and maybe this is me just projecting, but some sense that every time Hazard got the ball, his teammates were standing around being, OK, little monkey, go and, uh, go and do something spectacular and go and get us a goal. I think that Oscar's game has actually dipped a little bit. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but he's not. As, as, as Hazard has got better, Oscar is not playing quite as well. He's also wondering what his place is in the team. Yeah. Willian seems to be... Yeah, the, the offensive threat. The, the new Oscar. Yeah. Just as Oscar was the new yeah. atom. And then, you know, Ramirez continues to have quite inconsistent performances for Chelsea as well. And I think he had a knock and didn't come off. I think Cahill had a knock and didn't come off. Um, and so I think it's going to be interesting. These are going to be an interesting few weeks. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, Chelsea unbeaten in 11, best record in the league, tied with Liverpool over the past six. I don't think it's a tragic result. By the way, I've got a little horse. Do you know this? So we named our horse yesterday. My mate George Ward, my muse came in, uh, we've got a foal, christened her yesterday, little filly, lady chairman, uh, filly of society's chairman, the horse that George had, lady chairman, hoping, being weaned in, in Kentucky, uh, hoping to see her racing in about a year and a half. So get ready, <laughs> put your money on it. Lady chairman, coming soon is it, is to this, a race course near you. Is this part of a large stable you own, or is it? No, I've got one, I've got a share in one horse, lady chairman. I might buy more. Warpig. I'd like a horse called Warpig. But Lady Chairman, going to be racing soon. God, that put him up, up and at him. Yeah. Come on, Warpig. Little horse. Norwich, nil. Manchester City, nil. Rog, oh. I mean, I sort of predicted this going in on our serious show, that I love Manchester City shirts. The best-looking shirt in the Premier League, I think, the sky blue. But except when Manchester City play Norwich... And just that green and yellow and sky blue, not Easter weekend. It's just way too pastel-y. Very unattractive fixture in every way. And this was a lacklustre, frustrating, flaccid performance. It left Pellegrini worried about a wobble and hands Norwich a much-needed point. Norwich. Yeah, I mean, let us cast our mind back to the Etihad. There yeah. Score was 7-0 when Norwich visited there. 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, back at Carrow Road. And as I said earlier, City fans starting to feel the unexpected pain, Davo. Yeah. The pain of constipation. And fatigue. I think it's fatigue. I think it goes back to, I think that it's, you know, and their eyes are starting to think about uh, Barcelona and about the Champions League. They're, you know, still trying to win four trophies as Josie Marino keeps on tweaking them about winning four trophies. And it's going, it's, we're in February. As you know, what's England like in February, Rog? Simple falls of sunlight. It's a tough place to live 
in the winter. Well, the net result, they were shut out in consecutive matches for the first time in 102 games, Davey. Norwich credit them, they hustle with tenacity. Uh, Pellegrini claimed afterwards uh, there was only one team that played. Um, there was a team that defended very well. Uh, we were not very creative. The honest truth is the Canaries could have nicked this game. And you have to wonder for, for City, it's not so much fatigue, it's injuries, players who are playing with knocks. And I think City fans are trying to work out why. Um, Dzeko, Negredo, even Yaya seem hindered by injuries that are hinted at. Uh, that raise questions about the extent to which Pellegrini really trusts the depths of his squad. Um, we used to see Yaya Toure saunter through the gut of teams like Norwich and absolutely batter yeah. them. Yeah. Here he just seemed lethargic and impotent. Um, all teams... Except when he tried to kick Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. He's had it coming, that yeah. Wolfswinkel. <laughs> all the teams are going to drop points. Um, and I found Pellegrini quite prophetic, actually. He said at the end of the game, the difference will be slight with just two points behind. Uh, and lo and behold, um, both Arsenal and Manchester City could go top this afternoon. Yep. They had diabolical weekends, um, and now they could find themselves right back at the top. I'd, I'd file this. City's form is absolutely just a blip. It's not a wobble. I think Norwich were terrific in this game and avoid kind of knee-jerk condemnation of City. And they've got three easy league games on the horizon. Sunderland, Stoke, and Manchester United. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. By the way, do you know... Which team has the most clean sheets in the Premier League right now? I would guess that would be Arsenal. Amazingly, it's West Ham United. Have 13 games out of 26 where they haven't conceded a single goal. And uh, like team on the rise, West yeah, Ham. Yeah, and a lot of teams at the top have had difficulty not conceding. At least one goal in game after game after game. Which brings us to the saddest part of the conversation. Tottenham won. Nigel, nil, Rog. Another goal from Adebayor. Remember him, AVB. Seven in 11 appearances. I wonder what must it be like for AVB watching Tottenham play. Gifts an uncoordinated Tottenham a win over well-intended, but a little bit flaccid again, Nigel. Yeah. Exhausted, Nigel. Tired, Nigel. Wasn't that painful blunt, to watch this game, David? Nigel? Wasn't it? They were blunt. It wasn't painful to watch, mostly because I'm absolutely and completely numb. You are numb. Numb to pain at this point. I mean, Everton were marauding. They were hungry. They were imaginative. But they were, um, yeah, blunt was your word. Every good opportunity they had to score fell at the feet of the deeply mediocre Leon Osman, <laughs> who was unable to convert. He had that one great shot and fantastic save, actually. You don't care. You've never liked him. He's got You've never liked Funny him. Enough, you have never liked Leon Osman. If he was about a foot taller, he'd be a male model, which he'd probably be better at than uh-huh. being a Premier League midfielder. It didn't just I make me pine. When I, when I picture Leon Osman, I see, Jimmy, I see Jimmy Fallon. Always. You do? That's what I think he looks like. I don't see it. I could honestly imagine him in a Giorgio Armani advert with his shirt half uh-huh. off and an aftershave. Leon Osman. Uh-huh. Put on. The... Um, I pine for Romelu Lukaku. He's not even that good anymore. <laughs> I felt fondly nostalgic for the erratically haphazard days of Dennis Strakalursi. Oh, Dennis Strak. And Tottenham, they just seem like and a Royston team. And Royston Drenthe. Oh, yeah, don't get me started. Uh, it's a team of talented individuals with little, by the way, of tactical plan other to, than to get the ball to Ericsson to make crap happen. Um, Everton toiled. Steve and Naismith, he just personified our high-effort, low-output return. He, when he scored last weekend. Oh, he's cra- he fumbled the ball out of play twice within 40 <laughs> seconds. 
Uh, it's like watching the unathletic runt of the Cullen family in Twilight. <laughs> Just trying to put on the wing for it. And we were made to pay. We switched off at a free kick. Out of by all pounce, he thrashed the ball. Parson exposed Tim Howard at his near post. And we had a Jerry D sighting off the bench. Martinez dumped on all of our attacking players like logs onto a winter fire. And to no avail, I think it's the mid-table of shattered dreams that beckons David. Wow. I did let him what I loved in this game that made me happy. I just love, um, I love the fashion clash in New York Fashion Week mm-hmm. between the suave, brown-shoed Roberto Martinez yeah. and Tim Sherwood. Guna Tim. He's clearly on a mission to bring back the 19th century French gilet. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, gilet, yeah. Into fashion. I'd love it if he sauntered out in one that was like, had silk and velour brocading on it. And no pants. Rather than one that looks like he nicked it from <laughs> Tony Pulis' walk-in wardrobe. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Darkness. Oh, by the way, Lukaku on Belgian television, David. Yeah. My quote of the week. Yeah. He was asked if he gets lonely in England. Yeah. He said, you know, people think the life of footballers is all great with the nice cars and lots of money. I assure you. Read this line, David. Read this line. I assure you. I'm 20 and I miss hugging my mum, laughing with my brother. I call them every day, sometimes every two hours, just to say something silly. Oh, cuddly Breaks your heart. Cuddly Breaks your heart. Yeah, man of the... Can I say, today on this pod, we've talked about Romelu Lukaku. For me, I love men. Yeah. And Mick Hucknall. <laughs> For me, I love men. Um, Rog, maybe we'll look at the cellar. You know, what's going on down in the relegation zone. Save that for another week. Yeah. But fascinating what's going on down there. Amazing. West Ham win three games in a row. And they're in 10th. Yep. They go from the bottom three... Uh, to 10. I'll, I'll just say that increased revenue from TV deals means that the prize for staying up is now more than $104 million. And there's just eight points between the bottom 10. Every club wants to get to 39 points, which is kind of the yeah. mark where you normally will not be relegated. Mm-hmm. And only the top eight teams have, have passed that milestone. Okay, Rog, as the ice skating pairs, they warm up on the ice behind us on NBC Sports. You love your ice skating. Oh, I love a bit of ice skating pairs. Pair. Ever since, what's the film with Will Ferrell? Blades, Blades of, of Glory. Yeah. Love it. Hilarious. Oh, I love the ice skating. Um, Rog. Uh, Manchester City, Barcelona looming on the horizon, David. Who are we going to talk to? We went to. We wanted to get one of the world's leading Barcelona experts. Yeah, the twi- and tallest. Yeah, and best at, in the NBA at defence. In the Western Conference. Mark Gasol. Coming up. Here he is. Okay, Rog, joining us uh, today, our guest is Barcelona born. I think that's a first for us. Uh, raised uh, there, moved to the Memphis area at age 16 when his older brother, Pau, signed with the Grizzlies. After returning to play in the Spanish league for FC Barcelona, where he became the league's MVP in 2008, and Acas Vallu Girona, Mark came back to the NBA in 2009 to star with the Grizzlies in Memphis. He has morphed into the most well-rounded big man in the league, Basketball's Yaya Toure, I like to think of. A powerhouse who is both warrior and artist. Last season, Mark was named the NBA Defensive Player of the Year, an award that adds to the 2006 gold medal won at the 2006 World Championships. Two Olympic silvers he has won with the Spanish national team. Ahead of Barcelona's round of 16 clash with Manchester City in the Champions League. Welcome to the pod, Mark Gasol. Hey, how are you? How's it going? Pretty good. Is that, is that a hound we hear in the background? No, that's that's uh, some of the guys here in the in the locker room. Oh, the, the dog pound. <laughs> um, 
Mark, we are elated to have you. You grew up in a region, Catalonia, where everybody plays soccer, football. What, what was it like to come of age as a basketball player in Spain? Was it a little bit like being a soccer player in the United States? Um, actually not. I mean, uh, in our culture, as you know, everybody plays uh, uh, football in, uh, in Barcelona, uh, in lunch break, uh, you know, any, any break you get. You just uh, roll the ball and and uh, and, and play soccer. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much. It just takes a couple of uh, posts and a, and a ball to to have a soccer game. And how have you seen since you arrived in the United States at 16? Have you seen the interest in 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 association football, in soccer football, uh, change, particularly down there where you're playing? It's growing, especially now when uh, everybody gets uh, pretty interested when. Uh, when the big uh, tournaments come, like now the the world in uh, in Brazil, everybody's going to be watching here in the U.S. Uh, but you know, for me, it's always been the same. Uh, every weekend and, uh, and during the week with Champions League, I'm always watching uh, watching football. Yeah, how do you keep up and watch your football here? Um, you know, good thing that satellite TV has a lot of channels, and uh, and I got a lot of uh, uh, football channels. Uh, and I can watch the Spanish league. I just watch uh, Chelsea. Uh, beat uh, Manchester, Manchester uh, City um, for the first time at their place. So, you know, it's always good, good football. Do you play also? I play a little bit. I play a little bit. Who's a, a better footballer, you or your brother? Who's better on the football field? Uh, Pat was never interested in football. He was always, you know, with the books, studying. When he had a break, he was doing the homework. When I had a break, I was running uh, <laughs> uh, the football. Barcelona could do with a new centre-back right now, I think, Mark. But are you a FIFA player? Do you play EA Sports FIFA? Um, I was Actually, I was always a pre-evolution um, up until this year. This year, um, I don't know what they did with the, with the game. I didn't really like it. So I switched to FIFA for the, uh, for the first time this year. Oh, there's few things in life I enjoy more than controlling Carlos Puyol. <laughs> one of my simple players you, you in your early years you came through at um, FC Barcelona's basketball youth club I mean the, their motto it's well known more than a club Mace K young club can you explain to Americans what that what that value what that philosophy means they don't understand because they don't have, they, their system doesn't work that way you know you don't get players that young and you get to educate them and, and, and pretty much mold them the way you want to want to mold them so <clears throat> the system doesn't work that way here, so it's hard for them to, to understand um, how it works. So, was there a camaraderie between the young soccer players in, uh, in uh, uh, and the basketballers? It's huge. It's huge because we we, uh, we did it all together. You know, we eat at the Messia. We, um, so, we pretty much keep up with each other. Uh, you know, on the weekends, the kids, they don't have their families there or, they you know, they live far away, so everybody stays there and... Uh, you have a lot of uh, time off, so you get to spend a lot of time with uh, other sports, not just uh, you know football and, and basketball. But as you know, Barcelona has uh, many other sports um, that they bring in guys to the Messia. Do you come through with Sergio Busquets? No, I, I haven't. I haven't really. Uh, you know, I'm older than him, but uh, I know I know who he is. So, course. which of the guys did you come through with, Mark? Um, I met Boyan. Boyan Kirkic was was in the Messia. He was a young kid when I, when I was there. Um, but I was there only for a year. Um, there were a couple, you know, the young kids were the ones staying at the, at the Messiah, the older kids, I'm sure, that they had their own apartment by by uh, the age of 17, 18. They all already living with the, 
with uh, on their own, probably. When I read an interview um, of you, you said, I watch basketball and study basketball. The more you realize the pass, the pass, as they say in America, it's really beautiful. Just the right pass at the right time to get somebody open. It's just beautiful. There's nothing better you know, than that. It's contagious. It was like reading a Zavi interview, honestly. Is there something, uh, do you feel there's something Barcelonian about the way you play? I think in, in basketball, like in life, you know, you've got to be a little, a little bit lucky. And, uh, and I think in every, every sportsman career, there's a moment where somebody's got to give you trust and, and belief and confidence. And, and that's also a beautiful thing about, about the sport, that you know, somebody's going to give you a chance because a lot of players have the talent and, uh, and all the tools. But uh, a lot of times they don't give it. They're not given the chance, or they just have a, you know, a lot of great players around them, so they got to wait. And uh, so, you know, I was I was lucky to be at the right place at the right time. Are there other uh, football-loving uh, players on your roster in Memphis? Uh, uh, Mike Conley, Mike Conley likes soccer, huh. football, of course, and he is actually quite a, a FIFA player as well. Uh, and uh, but no, we're not. We don't have many many other. Uh, Soccer fans here. We we do have uh, we had before Hamed Haddadi, who was from Iran, and he would always mess with me about about football. He would, I, even gave me a Real Madrid uh, soccer jersey one time, and, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't too happy about that, and he knew that. But did, did he give him he a, had, did he give him an LA Clippers yeah. jersey in return? <laughs> oh, he he gave me he he had my name on the back and my number on it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Let's talk about the Manchester City. Barcelona round of 16 clash for a minute. I mean, it pains me mm-hmm. to say this to you, Mark, but Barcelona this season under Tata Martinez been a little muddled at times. I mean, is that a matter of players adapting to a new coach, or are we seeing the end of a dynasty? Older players age I out. Think, I think we are used to a you know excellence of a, of, of of the sport, you know the excellence of results. So when a, when a team doesn't win one game or doesn't get the result that everybody wants. Everybody kind of uh, just um, just hit the panic button too quick. You know, sports about patience and, and, and keep working no matter, no matter the outcome. And then also got to understand that the other, other teams are getting ready and prepared to play you. So in Barcelona, for the most part, that's a great job of just playing, and, and it's hard to just keep winning all the time. You've got to know that now is when the team got to pick, and, uh, and I'm sure that the, the, the guy's going to be ready. So Manchester City, obviously a team who you've watched, uh, and you, you mentioned you watched them play against Chelsea. That was obviously without Aguero, uh, without Fernandinho. Uh, but what do you see in that club that you that, that makes you fear them a little uh, for uh, for Barcelona? Well, Pellegrino did a Pellegrino did a great job already. In Malaga. I mean, you know, he he managed a, uh, a big variety of guys coming together and, and, and played a great style of of, us, of football in, in the Spanish league. And he he's pretty much you know he of course he has a lot of talent in in Manchester City and he's doing the same thing he's managing you know from my point of view a great team and you know especially at home I mean that was the first time that they lost a home for, for as far as I know yeah it was for, for since oil was uh, invented first time they gave up some points right the uh, it's, yeah it's the first time they've done anything but win this season I mean you look at that team um, Yaya Toure former Barcelona player. He's become one mm-hmm. of the most dominant players in the Premier League. Negredo, uh, Navas, David Silva. I mean, Yaya Torre told me they play Spanish football. Um, Barcelona <laughs> have got to go into the Emirates, where only Chelsea have uh, stopped them from scoring for fun. As a Barcelona mm-hmm. fan, do you, feel a, do you feel a certain fear? 
Uh, I would say fear. It's always respect, though. Uh, fear is a strong word that not many people use. So we always talk about uh, about respect. So you know, my team is going to be a great rival, and I, and I, and I hope that it's that it's a great game. Can we can we get a score prediction from you? An honest. Score uh, prediction from a slightly biased gent, a large, tall, slightly biased one, gentleman. One, 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 two, one, two for Barcelona in the first leg, and uh, three one on the on the second game. <sighs> to Manchester City. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> right. And do you think that Barcelona have what it takes to win the Champions League this year? Um, it's going to be a tough one. Everybody has great players, great team, great teams. Right now, I think Barcelona is first of all thinking about Real Sociedad. Uh, and, you know how that that matchup goes in the in the Kings Cup. Also, they have a tough situation in the Spanish league. Yeah, three um, three horse race. Regain regain the first position. So you know they they have every every option open in in all the three competitions. So you know it's going to be a handful. It is, and then I mean, it's a huge summer. There's the Basketball World Cup in Spain. Uh, which we're very excited about. Other people are quite excited about the World Cup in Brazil. I, I had a dream last night, Mark, that Spain were knocked out in the round of 16. It was very odd to live in a world where Spain were not champions. So was a, that was a dream or a nightmare? It was... <laughs> well, it actually was a nightmare because they were beaten by Switzerland and Sepp Blatter scored a hat It was very odd. It was, it was a very odd feeling to live in a world where, I mean, they've gone Euro World, Euro champions, back to back to back, a remarkable feat. How do you handicap their chances in Brazil? It's just like kind of like with Barcelona, they play the same same style. You know, they keep playing, playing, uh, playing. Uh, you know, a great style of soccer, football. But everybody kind of uh, gets ready, prepare for that. And uh, and Brazil, you know, it's going to be. They show us in the Conference Cup how they play, and from the front crowd and how much energy they they have. So it's going to be it's going to be a great uh, World Cup. I can't wait to watch it. You know, our great friend Mark Stein covers the NBA for ESPN. Also a big, uh, a big football fan. Big Manchester, Manchester City, City fan, actually. Um, oh. He, uh, we let him know you were coming on. And he let us know that the thing he'd be curious to, 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 to hear from you is how, and these are his words, how did little Spain get so damn good at everything? Football, basketball, <laughs> tennis. Because when we were growing up in the 1980s and 90s, you know, Spain weren't really known. That, you know, I hate to use the word choker, but they were sort of known. They disappointed. They would get a long way in tournaments, had some great athletes, but they, they didn't tend to complete. They didn't tend to finish. So how did Spain get so good simultaneously at everything? The great, the great thing that happened was, uh, was the Olympics. Olympics in Barcelona uh, inspired a lot of young kids to, to play sport, to try to be the best we could. And uh, a lot of coaches too. I think everybody around around the sport and around uh, you know any kind of sport, they would do it um, to try to be in the Olympics, to try to be a, an Olympic champion, to try to be the best we could. And uh, and and that you know that '92 Olympics in Barcelona inspired all of us. Wow. Wow, that could be good for England in uh, in in about 15 years' time. England could be good at things. <laughs> I, 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 I like that laugh. So. It means you can try, but it's not going to happen. Last no, we're going to try to keep getting good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Last question for you from one of our listeners, at Brandon MSN. He wants to know, in your opinion, Mark Gasol, who are the world's biggest floppers, NBA players or South American soccer stars? Oh, to me, sometimes soccer, I get scared because I think a player really got hurt. And they, they, <laughs> stay, you know, they stay on the grass. 
especially you know in the in the English league they don't do it as much, but in the Spanish league sometimes some of the players look like they you know injured for life, and uh, as soon as they drink this magic water, they get up and run perfectly. So, that, so uh, the, it's, it's the flopping, they're kind of equal, but the post-flopping, the dramatic post... Uh, the afterwards, the after the fact, is, is what, you know, because <laughs> people get actually worry about the, about the health of the, of the player, so, uh, you know. That's what I separates that that the, gr- the, the great from the truth, just the good there, Dave. Right. Uh, Mark, you're, you're in the middle of your season with Memphis. It's currently sitting ninth place in the Western Conference. You're back from a knee injury. Yeah. And uh, just, I think, you're, you're one game out of eighth place. What do you think you have to do in Memphis for the rest of the season to, to, to make it to the playoffs and then advance in the playoffs and do well in that just very tough going. Western just Conference? Keep, keep our head down. Keep our head down and keep going. We cannot, you know, look to the side, look up or look down. We just got to do what we're supposed to do, play our game, um, you know, play our defense that's what makes us strong and, uh, and, you know, just let it off and flow. We cannot try to be somebody we're not. We cannot try to... Um, we turn games. Only, only games we can worry about is the next game, and take it one at a time, just like we always done. If, if Memphis were a football team, who would they be? Um, if Memphis was a football team, uh, we probably would be uh, like a uh, Atlético Madrid. <laughs> right now, Atlético Madrid is. <laughs> oh, I like your goalkeeper. They, uh, they, play, <laughs> they, they play with a lot of a spirit. You know, they play um, with that uh, that desire, that fight, and uh, and it's admirable what they're doing. I mean. I, I mean, Simeone has their his guys playing to the best uh, or even better. I mean, the guys are exceeding expectations over there, and uh, and and not just for one week or a month. They're doing it, you know, through a whole year, and hopefully they're going to keep it up. I feel like we're interviewing Diego Costa himself here, David. That's <laughs> very good. I'm now going to call them. I'm now going to call them. I'm a, the big fan of, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Diego Costa. He's a he's a scrappy player too. Uh, the Atletico Grizzlies from now on. That's what I'm calling them. Um, uh, Mark, good luck the rest of the season. Uh, good luck to Barcelona, obviously, and to Spain. Big year uh, for uh, Thank you very much. every and, sport and, and for you. And to you in the World Championships also. We hope you get gold. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye-bye. Interesting, Rog. Oh, he's a beautiful bloke. He is. He's, he's very pop- tall. He's very tall. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. And he's got the soul of a poet. Yeah, he does. Without a doubt. Uh, can't wait for the Champions League. Those games start next week, Rog, midweek. Uh, was, I would say the Champions League, a little dull, the group stage of the Champions League. But I'm, I've never looked forward more to the knockout stages. Lots of English teams in it. You know I support all the English teams in the Champions League. And I think an English team's going to win it this year, Rog. That's hope, my psychic prediction. I hope you are so very... Bloody wrong. By the way, <laughs> that interview, I think I might be a Memphis Grizzly fan. Really? Yeah, I loved him. Huh. Loved him. Love them. They don't get any respect. They keep fighting. Not a lot. No doubt about it. Okay, Rog, onto the Ravens. Freezing, shivering uh, on the windowsill on the ledge. Uh, from Luther Cookson from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Dear Rogerio and Davino, I watched David Beckham saunter around his Miami stage and half announced the creation of an MLS franchise in Miami. With confused eyes, the team has no name, start date, nor stadium. We are not clear who the ownership group is, and we know Miami is a graveyard for MLS soccer franchises. Should we be excited, scared, or confused? I mean, oh, 
He's cute, David Beckham. He is. He's he? good looking. Oh, that will amazing. distract everybody from yeah. asking the hard questions. Yes. I mean, you understand Miami better than I do. It's a tough sports town. Yeah. Heavy Latino clientele. Yeah. Graveyard for MLS in the past. I actually love it down there. Even though such globally revered talent as Carlos Valderrama and Kyle Beckerman yeah. uh, played that, they couldn't make the Miami fusion go. And we're still yet to hear how they're going to counter that, David. So what do you think about it? Well, I mean, the word, we've got a three-line email about Raven, about MLS in Miami, and the word franchise is used at least seven times. <laughs> I mean, this to me is part of the issue with MLS right now, is that what they've got to form is clubs, and where they've been successful is where... These teams are more than franchises. They're more than Arby's and Kentucky Fried Chickens and Chick-fil-A's or, you know, those check-cashing places or Western Unions or all those places that, that spout up in mini-malls and strip malls around the country. Oh, you got me hungry and reminded that I need a loan. Seattle built a club. Portland built a club. We hope that New York City FC is going to be a club. But this does have the ring of the building of a franchise, and a franchise will not work in MLS. MLS, as a group of franchises, will not work. It will work when it is a league of clubs. And I know that might sound vague, it might sound silly, but that's what every other soccer in the league in the world, every other soccer league in the world, was built from clubs. And it's laughable, really, when one team talks about, oh, you know, at least we've got history and you've got no history, where we're quibbling about... One team founded in 1878 and the other founded in 1904. English soccer, Italian soccer, German soccer, French soccer, these teams, these clubs have amazing, amazing, amazing long-term histories. And this just smacks, for me, what MLS are doing right now of just building another franchise, and a franchise won't work. Okay, well, I mean, my favourite part of the news conference was when Beckham was asked why he'd chosen Miami for the new venture, and he replied, I mean, why not? I mean, why not? But uh, given this team has a lot of kind of political hurdles to vault, um, and one of the big takeaways that I liked about this press conference was Beckham seemed to be morphing into an American politician before our eyes. Uh His lines were very rehearsed, uh, but his delivery was, well, it was as good as his delivery against Greece in the World Cup. We we just don't know enough to tell right now. I think Beckham, we know, is not going to be playing... But there's former players turned great GMs like Jerry West who showed that it can be done. And then there's the Michael Jordan model which shows that mm, not so much. In terms of the franchises, Davo, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann always says that MLS has achieved more in 17, 18 years than many European leagues have done in kind of 70 or 80. And I think we're, we're at this turning point right now for the league. Manchester City are involved, Beckham's involved, Tim Laiwicki's cash machine is purring away in Toronto. Reminds me a little bit of the Premier League in the 90s, David. Do you remember mm-hmm. when players like Ravinelli, the Italian, would come over right at the end of his career and we'd laugh that they, it was like a retirement home? People, we all, the rest of Europe laughed at us. They said it was an elephant's graveyard, but they failed to spot the momentum behind the Premier League. And I think the tectonic plates are changing in MLS and you, you, you kind of laugh at it at your peril. But I don't think the alternative is... I think you're creating two positions. Is one is you massively support it, and the other one you laugh at it. I don't think those are the. I don't think everybody falls into those two categories. I don't laugh at MLS at all. I think what they've achieved has been amazing over you know their first two decades. 
But at the same time, is this the right time for expansion for this league? Is this uh, the way that we're going to develop the U.S. men's national team players in the future that we need as all of these guys are returning back rather than playing in Europe? That's a big question. And how do we improve the television ratings? We've definitely improved the game in stadium. We've definitely improved the atmosphere. But how do the television ratings improve? Because the television ratings have to improve for MLS to truly make it smart. Give Barry Hearn the franchise. Yeah, that's a very good point. Or a chicky fellow. Or a club. (laughs) Or a club. Las Vegas Orient. We've discussed it before. Would be an amazing team. Uh, Hello, Positive and Toilet. This morning, Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, one of Roger's favourites, came on at my work and immediately I, like a young Bran, had a vision. It was midnight and raining heavily. Through the downpour, I could see a man singing along sadly in his car to Tracy's rich baritone, gazing longingly out the window. Following his eyes, I noticed he was parked outside of Goodison Park. The man was David Moyes and he was sobbing. The vision was so striking. Whenever I now hear that wonderful tragic song, I will think of David Moyes alone in his car, a physical manifestation of the Scottish poet George MacDonald's haunting words. Alas, how easily things go wrong, a sigh too much, a kiss too long. And there follows a mist and a weeping rain and life is never the same again. I was wondering if you had any songs or musical cues that immediately made you think of a distinct memory or figure from the football world. Yours, indubitably, Josh in San Francisco. Obviously an English major. I can't. I mean, wow. We've been accused on Sirius XM of our show being too much about just... Music and statistics. Which is true. Yeah. Which is absolutely true. For me, there's one album that I yeah. listen to that reminds me purely of football. It's not about football. Mm-hmm. And it's a Stone Roses debut album. It reminds me of World Cup 90. Like, woof. Whenever I hear it, I'm taken back to that summer. Which is also the last summer when England were truly belonged, you know, in the, in the English elite. It just reminds me of... <laughs> Yeah, Happy but that's even, an over, that, that's even a rosy colour vision. England was so crap during the opening stages, the group stages of that World Cup, and then they suddenly started winning a few games. But they so nearly didn't make it out of the group. Um, I don't know that I have a song or a poem that takes me back. I mean, I must say, we were playing recently a band who, I think one of the most underrated bands in British history, The Jam. Oh and The God. Jam, definitely the sound generated by that three-piece combo, that really takes me back to... England in the 19, late 70s, yes, early 80s. Whenever I listen to them, I can feel the taste of my own blood in my yeah. mouth. Yeah, it just, I just think, whenever I hear a song, the first thing that comes into my head is skinheads yep. and the Corelli mods. I was at a, uh, I I was at a wedding on uh, Saturday yeah. in Westchester. Nothing to do with football. Mm-hmm. And they played the Steelers, uh, Steelers wheel hit, Stuck in the Middle with You. <laughs> yeah, I know that song. Because all to the left of me, usual to the right, here I am stuck in the middle as you root. That's very good. Stuck in the middle, Giroud. Um, That's great. I will say, we are working on um, an anthem for the US men's national team, Uh for our lads. To to be a proper football nation, we know our lads need a proper football song. Um, So if you are at home and are thinking about what that song should be, we've got some EA Sports FIFA games, we've got some patches, some blazer patches. And we've got a signed Barry Hearn poster. Oh, if you can write a Barry Hearn, going to sign the poster. He's going to. It's worth millions. He's going to. He's, he's going to. Going to sign I'm it. I'm going to tell him it's a contract, a television contract. <laughs> He'll sign it. Sign anything. Um, so that, that's for now. But start sending it to us, meninblazers at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We want you to write the lyrics to a well-known pop song of any kind. Yeah. And we'll get that band Stuck in the in studio. The middle, with the US men's national team. And yeah. we want to. 
We want, we want to send our lads off in the proper way, right, David? Great idea. I love that idea. Uh, it's an FA crap weekend, Rog, <sighs> coming up. Not in the face. Yeah, David. in the face. Man City. But, but they, they hot balls, hot yeah, balls. The hot They've balls. made it interesting. Man City versus Chelsea on Saturday, February 15th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Fox Sports 2. Everton versus Swansea. On Sunday, February 16th at 8.30am Eastern Time. Fuck, Sports 1. Wow, fantastic. Oh, come on, Everton. <laughs> come on, do it, for, do it for us, lads. Do it for us. Got a bad feeling. Bad Arsenal feeling. versus Liverpool. <laughs> the return fixture on Sunday, February 16th, 11am well, Eastern Time. Will Daniel Sturridge take Fox away Sports the last of Arsenal's hope of a domestic cup glory this season? Uh, next week, Rog, a special pod. Our live night in conversation with Barry Hearn. That's actually tonight as we, tape, uh, as, as we tape. We're going to celebrate Abraham Lincoln's birthday in the star, which is befitting. Uh, we're going to record it at Le Poisson Rouge. In New York City. We're going to learn from the knee of Barry. Yeah, I believe that means red fish. In honour of Valentine's Day and, as you said, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Um, Many ways to connect to us, Rog. One is our Amazon Emporium, Mm. which helps keep the show going a small uh, percentage, a small, tiny little percentage of everything you buy on Amazon. Winter is coming. Big or small. If you click on the Emporium page, um, it allows us to cover the cost of the show. Poor little Alex. He's sitting over there shivering. He is, he's he's shivering. sucking on a lump of coal, wishing he was by the NBC fireplace. Uh, In its honour, we've launched a new feature, Emporium Choices of the Week, in which we both post what we We are reading, listening to, watching or consuming. We need need a sting for that. Okay, what are you putting in the Emporium this This week? Well, I'm preparing mentally to return to Ukraine, which I'm terrified of that whole place it's in my dna not been good to my ancestors yeah so i read this week again uh, chestnut city of thieves by uh-huh. david benioff do you ever read that no didn't never read that book showrunner of the game of thrones yeah um it is beautiful um it's a, a a small boy given an impossible assignment during the nazi blockade of leningrad magical terse piece of writing that's both humorous and haunting in equal measure it's yeah like, it's like as if tom cleverly was a novel <laughs> exactly uh, Rog I've been uh, getting quite fit recently I can tell you it's my amazing thing. By the way. I never I never diet I never focus on weight loss all I focus on is getting fit and the only way I know how to get fit is by jumping rope Rog I've boxed a few times you in my like, life you and I've like been a, jumping rope you look like you've got the body of Iggy Pop and I can hardly recommend a little hairier I, uh, I can hardly recommend the Everlast leather weighted jump rope in the sports and outdoors section of Amazon. There's nothing like jumping rope, Rog. It's just such a great feeling, getting into a rhythm. I get into How my zone. How long do you do it for? Um, I do a thousand jumps, combinations of, of single jumps, high knees, knees up, of crossovers, and double jumps. I do that in a combination, I end up doing a thousand jumps. Only takes me about oh, a thousand jumps about 10 to 12 minutes and I get in fighting shape doing that Ali Bumbaye Ali Bumbaye boots and pants and boots and pants and boots and pants and boots and pants you do look good I thought it was just it. a jacket David. no I love it well it is it's quite slim fitting also Rog download our best of album ideal for new GFOPs who don't really know what the hell we're talking about I need to listen to that actually Available on iTunes and Amazon. Men in Blazers, unbuttoned. Now that's what I call suboptimal. Connect to us, meninblazers.com, our Tumblr. Uh, find us on Twitter, at Embassy Davis, at Rog Bennett, at Men in Blazers, which is usually at Rog Bennett. Uh, like us on Facebook. You can email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Uh, you can send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. So it's the saddest part of the show for me, David. When we have to say goodbye. Well, we don't just say goodbye.
Vanderpunkt. Warpig. Boom patterns. Dominate. Courage. Size the day. Who wants to sex more Tombo? Unbelievable. Is that your analysis? Oh, Kung Fu Fine America. Love you, Roger. Love you, Davey. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.